Hello and welcome to the brand new American Reformation podcast. We long to see the wider American Christian church fall more in love with Jesus by learning from the practices of the early church and other eras of discipleship multiplication. We want to hear from you. Make sure you comment and leave a review wherever you're watching or listening to tell us what God is doing in your life or how you feel about today's conversation. Lord, have your way in us. Let's dive in. Welcome to the American Reformation Podcast. Tim Allman here. I pray wherever you're taking this podcast in, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He is your leader and Lord, the lover of your soul. And he has beautiful things in store for you and for us today as I get the privilege to hang out uh, with... My brother from another mother, he is uh, John Carlson. We got to to coach this last year together uh, as the head coach. Uh, John is the first year head coach at Gilbert Christian High School. Uh, he's going to share a little bit of that coaching journey, but he's way more than that. I'm married to Danielle, a father of four kids. He played also, he's going to tell a little bit of his athletic journey today, played at, you may have heard of the University uh, Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, and then uh, seven some years or so in the NFL, uh, and we're going to hear a little bit a little bit of that. And he's also the owner, shop owner of Christian Brothers Automotive. If you're in the Valley, and I know you guys go beyond the Valley with Christian Brothers, he's leading a team. We may get into some leadership conversations, some culture conversations today. But before we do any of that, John, uh, how you doing, man? Thanks for hanging. I'm doing great, Tim. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, man, this is a joy. Opening question, how are you praying for reformation in the American Christian church? Um, you know, th- that that feels like a really big question to me. It is. Um, it and is. and I've been thinking and praying about it. And and I think um, I've, I've pared it down a little bit to student athletes, I think, have a really unique opportunity. Christian student athletes have a unique opportunity to um, two things, I think. I've been praying that these athletes would, um, they would have a renewed sense of the opportunity they have to share the gospel and to model the gospel through sport. So that's number one. And then the second one is the, a lot of these athletes that we worked with this year and that, that we've observed in high schools and, you know, in the college ranks, um, they invest a lot of time and energy and, and the commitment level that they have to their sport is, is significant. Um, there's a striving after the sport and I think there should, there should be a renewed, my, my prayer is that there's a renewed sense in these young uh, Christian athletes that they should be striving after their faith and running after Jesus in the same way that they're, they're pursuing their sport. Um, so those are the, the two things that stick That's out so good, to me. John, that, that is such a hard thing. Uh, for young men, I would say, and, and young women as well, student athletes to wrap their their heads around as they're young and they're trying to kind of prove prove themselves um, and really find their identity in in the sport being the best they can possibly be, but then also recognizing, we talked about this a lot this, this past year in our devotion time, recognizing the approval of the father, the identity as a beloved son of the King is, is the catalyst, the freedom that comes with your identity in Christ is the catalyst. So what did sports teach you? Just give a little bit of your story too. What leadership lessons did the Lord teach you in your many years as an athlete? Um, And you didn't, 
you were a tennis player, right? You're a really good tennis player. Your dad is a big tennis player, also <laughs> basketball player, which was really basketball is kind of your first love. But then God kind of he gave you the body, John, for football at a very high level. So what two or three th- principles did sports teach you? Yeah, well, I, I grew up in um, a home of, of teachers and coaches. Both of my parents were high school teachers. My dad was a, a football coach, a basketball coach, and a tennis coach. So I grew up around sports. Um, it's something that, that as a family we've always done together and something that um, was very central to who we were. Um, and, and there were a lot of lessons. I have an older brother who I observed going through being coached by my dad and, and playing high school sports at a very high level three years in front of me. So I got to see how he handled that. Um, and then he went on and played college basketball, earned a scholarship. Uh, my older sister and my younger sister both played sports as well in high school. Um, and my younger sister played in college. Um, you know, leadership lessons. I think, you know, the, the, the biggest one that sticks out to me is this sense that leadership is service. Um, and this agape love, self-sacrificial love, um, you know, that that's referenced in, in scripture, uh, every great leader I've ever been around as an athlete, starting with, you know, my older brother, Alex, when I was, when I was young and then going into college, people that I observed that were very, um, they were effective leaders. They, they elevated the people around them. They, they, um, they were willing to sacrifice the, their own, um, accolades, their own stats, their own, time. You know, it's inconvenient to lead. It's difficult to lead. Um, and the people that I've, I've observed and experienced that they do it really well, they're willing to sacrifice for the good of the team. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that's number one. Um, this, the second kind of a second lesson that, you know, thinking back and preparing for this leadership is, is a daily commitment to the it's, I, I relate it to football practice. Like there's a daily rhythm to developing skills and being effective at what you do, whether it's blocking as an offensive lineman or it's catching the ball as a receiver or throwing the ball as a quarterback or anything on the defensive side of the ball. There are fundamental skills. And if you're seeking certain outcomes on the football field, um, you got to you got to put the work in on a daily basis. And I think the same is true in leadership. Uh, There's a daily rhythm of things that need to get done. Um, And I think from a leader's perspective, uh, in, in, internally, like you, you need to prepare yourself to, to be, to, to, to serve, to pour yourself out. You have to do certain things so that you're equipped physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to do that on a daily basis. And then, um, just when you interact with people that you're trying to lead, there, there are daily rhythms that you, you got to do. You got to do those things. Um, so, yeah, John, yeah, th- yeah. that's it. Let's just pause on that. Like football practice isn't necessarily fun. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, there are parts of it that are fun, right? I mean, you and I, especially coaching and we had there are moments of fun. But like early on in the year, coaching football in Phoenix, Arizona, it's like 110, 115 degrees. Even if we're waiting for the kids, like they're throwing on their pads or getting out there. Oh, my goodness. Maybe there's a part of me I'd like to. I wish I was playing a video game right now. Some of the kids could say or whatever. But no, we're teaching them the lesson that life is beautiful. Life is also discipline oriented and it's doing things for the the benefit of the team. 
that that are not always not always fun. Anything more to add though about the because I don't unless you played football, you don't really know until you know what it's like, you know, with that helmet on and just sweating your face off. So t- talk about the discomfort even of practice with football, John. Yeah, football's a unique animal because you play one game a week and there's a lot of practice that goes into preparing for that one game. Um, and most of practice, to your point, Tim, it is not necessarily fun. Uh, the heat this year was, I mean, it's always hot in Arizona in July, August, September, but it was, it was extremely hot this year. Um, we, you know, having a small team, we had a lot of guys that played both ways in the game. So the, the, the challenge of being conditioned well enough and to, to just push through pain and cramping and discomfort, uh, in games is, is really challenging, but the daily work required in football, um, isn't, isn't really all that much fun. Uh, a lot of the time compared to something like basketball. I, I loved right. playing basketball growing up and, and I, I still would if I was physically able. It's it's just a great sport. It's fun. And most of practice is playing the game. Maybe you work on shooting or shooting free throws or playing some defense. And there's always some scrimmage scrimmaging involved in, in practice. So you're really playing the game and, and it's a blast. Um, football is different. But I think that, that through that challenge, you know, there there's there's a there's a biblical message there of, of the, the trial and, and how growth occurs and how teams come together. And, and there's, so, I think there's so many parallels between the struggles in football um, and life. And, and I think mm-hmm. that uh, there, there, there's a lot of value in that. Um, there is fun in that. It's a different type of fun. There's, there's a, a sense that you can derive joy from this struggle, but it's more of a choosing it's, it's choosing joy. It's not happiness because of circumstance. It's, Hey, it's hot. It's hard. Uh, we're conditioning at the end of practice, you know, whatever it is. Um, this is difficult and I'm choosing to engage in this because it matters and I'm doing it to serve each other, you know, the teammates. Um, and, and through that, I think it, it, you can create a really special experience for each individual player and for the team collectively. Uh, so those are the things that I think that, I think that's where the real value is in, in playing football. Well, and your your story, John, was not. I love listening to to athletes that make it at the highest level or whatever. It, it wasn't a straight line. Like there was a lot of. I don't know exactly how this is going to work out, Jesus. I mean, tell your story at Notre Dame, and then just kind of the early story of getting into the NFL and how you just found yourself in these. Like I'm prepared and things, but this is very unusual. And am I, am I prepared? And even if you would lean into that question of that identity, that identity piece um, that was being found in, in sports and some of the shadow sides of sports uh, as well, just tell a little bit more of your, your story uh, pressing through struggle. Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I grew up around sports, so I, I got to observe these high school athletes. I, I idolized these high school athletes that played for my dad. Uh, when I was in elementary school and kind of grew up. And that was my, uh, I, I really looked forward to playing football on Friday nights in front of the home home fans and, you know, playing in a packed basketball gym in the winter. And tennis, I was not a good tennis player. I played doubles. It was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was a way to compete. Um, and I lifted a lot of weights in the springtime. So I, I loved it, but I wasn't all that good at it. Um, but, I, you know, I, I looked up, I looked forward to that time. And then when I got there, it was, you know, I was really blessed to have a, a group of classmates, teammates that we'd been together for a long time. 
So we, we ended up, we won three state championships in basketball. Wow. Um, my senior year, the, that same winter season, our wrestling team won a state championship, which is u- unique because it's the same group of athletes, just um, it's a small school. So it, it was impressive. What um, additionally, there are a lot of kids from that school that ended up going on and, and, and doing really significant things in their careers. Um, so, so that, that experience was, it was a blessing in so many ways. There was a high commitment to excellence and to team. And my, my dad really was, was, um, you know, that voice in my head of this is what it means to be a great teammate. And this is what the commitment level is needed to achieve excellence. And, and I got to see and experience that firsthand. So that, that's kind of how I grew up. Um, as I got, you know, my, my dream as, as a, a youngster was to play basketball at Duke. That, that yeah. was kind of Christian Leitner. You know, Christian, Le- Le- yeah, yeah, Christian yeah. Leitner is a polarizing figure in some ways. I thought he was just a <laughs> tremendous a- athlete and basketball player and, and competitor. So that was my dream. Um, I, I could never really shoot the basketball. That, that wasn't my skill set. And six, five power forwards don't really make it at Duke. So uh, my body, God built, gave me a body that, that was more suited to football. So as I got midway through high school, I realized that, that playing college football was a legitimate opportunity. Um, and, and I loved football um, just differently than basketball. Uh, and I realized, too, that, that I would have a, a really unique chance to to earn a scholarship and go to a school that Number one, I, I wouldn't have gotten into Notre Dame academically without football. Uh, there was some assistance mm-hmm. there and, uh, you know, did well once I got there and it took a lot of work to do that. But, um, you know, that and then just being able to afford to go to school like that was was a blessing. Um, so I had that chance to do that. We had a 25 person class. I was probably number 25 out of out of that list. Um in front of me, Greg Olson is a tight end. He's a commentator now, but he was a tremendous tight end in the NFL for a long time. He actually went to Notre Dame first and he was, he was there. He was one of the top recruits. Brady Quinn was a quarterback. We had, I think we had nine guys from that class that ended up playing in the NFL. Uh, but when I got there, I was the low man on the totem pole and, uh, there probably, there were six or seven tight ends in front of me. Quickly, I learned that I was not ready to play division one college football when I got there. So spent that first season as a, a red shirt practice squad type player uh, played against a defensive end named Justin Tuck, who went, went on and made oh, yeah. multiple, won a couple Super Bowls with the Giants, made Pro Bowl a bunch of times. Great man, great leader, uh, tremendous, tremendous football player, all American. So he beat me up every day in practice and, and picked me up after he knocked me down. Uh, but I learned a lot in that first uh, that first season playing against the starting defense. Um and I gained 15 pounds in the weight room that year because it was my first time in that type of weight training setting. And they, they force fed me. So I ate a lot. I lifted a lot of weights, practiced a lot of How many of calories, John? Pause right there. How many calories Man. were you eating a day? I can't even tell you. Uh, in college, I, I didn't really track it. The, the strength coach. 20, yeah. yeah, but just go eat 50 pancakes and, tw- you know, a dozen <laughs> eggs. Like, Nikki, I, okay. there's no way I can eat that much. But it was a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. So keep going. Yeah, into into your first year of playing after the redshirt year. Yeah, so it it was really a gradual thing. Um, I had a couple really good players in front of me, and Anthony Fasano was a tight end who played 13 years in the NFL. He was only one year in front of me, uh, so took a couple years. I think that my second year I played a little bit of special teams, 
third year played a lot of special teams and was the number two tight end behind Anthony. And it really wasn't until my, my fourth year, my true senior year that I had an opportunity to start and had, had, um, Charlie Weiss had come in. Tyrone Willingham was a coach when I got there. Great man, great leader. Um, unfortunately, we didn't win enough games for, for him to stay there. And then they brought in Charlie Weiss with his system. Um, I learned a lot from Charlie and his offensive system, and he used the tight ends a bunch. So it was really uh, fortuitous timing. It was a blessing that he came in when he did. Um, and then Anthony left with the year of eligibility, left, went, went and was drafted by the Cowboys in the second round. So he opened a, a door for me to play. Charlie was in and he used the tight ends. Brady Quinn was a senior. We had a bunch of weapons that, you know, so things, things happened uh, in a way that I, I couldn't have planned any better, you know, and, and had they not, you know, God's timing allowed me to have, have those opportunities and catch a bunch of footballs that year. But it's a real gradual process to, to be, um, I think, prepared for that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and even, you know, you know, there was no guarantee that that was going to happen. I wasn't thinking about the NFL, even up until that, that fourth year. It was kind of midway through that year where I realized, you know, I may have a chance to play in the NFL. So it was a pretty gradual thing. Let's stop. Let's stop right there. At this point, where is Jesus in John Carlson's life? Jesus is um, that uh, Jesus was not central in my life at that point in time. So I, I was raised in a Lutheran home, uh, went to a Lutheran church growing up, went through confirmation, did those things. So I, I knew, you know, God was was working on my heart from a young age. Um, mm-hmm. I had a great pastor and great church that I went to growing up, you know, all those things. Um, but the, and, 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 you know, we've, we've kind of danced around this a little bit, but this identity piece, I loved sports growing up. And while I knew who God was, Jesus, I, I hadn't surrendered to Jesus. I was pursuing sports. I was finding, I was seeking, you know, the things that as a young man, you're looking for identity and validation and achievement and, you know, love in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. I was seeking those things. I didn't consciously know that probably, but I, looking back, I was looking to, I was, uh, I was turning to basketball and football and success in school and th- those things for, um, you know, the, the God size hole in my life. So that trend continued into college. And I would say that I, I lived, um, for myself. I, th- I think my parents really s- set an example of what it means to live an ethical life and to be how, you know, what, how you should treat other people and, and standards that are biblical standards, but, uh, you know, the root of it for me was not Christ. Um, so that played out through college and um, continued on into the NFL. And thankfully, I was drafted by the Seahawks. And there's a guy named Matt Hasselbeck that was quarterback there. And there's there's a team chaplain named Carl Payne. And as soon as I got to Seattle, I realized, man, I want to be like that guy, Matt. Mm. Um Great football player, you know, had, had made multiple Pro Bowls. Had They'd been to the Super Bowl a couple years before. Didn't win the game, but but got there, had a great team. You know, so all the, all the football things, uh, but just I saw the type of husband and father he was, mm-hmm. the type of teammate he was. You talk about agape, sacrificial love. This guy opened his home to everybody. He, um, But, you know, at, at, at anyone who came in, anyone who was through the locker room, and myself included, he'd invite us to Bible study. So that was the game changer for me. And that was when the, the, the shift started in my life in terms of, you know, where, where is my identity placed? Um, 
it wasn't an immediate shift. It was gradual. Um, but Matt invited me to go to Bible study that my rookie year in Seattle. It was through that, that I found saving faith in Christ. And, um, and that was the first time, you know, as a kid growing up in a Lutheran church and going through confirmation, like we, we, we looked at scripture and, but it, 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 it didn't, it didn't hit home to me. I, I didn't engage with it in a way that was, um, at the same level of commitment that I engaged in sports. Uh, so this was, this was when, when God pursued me and the, the transformation started to occur through that Bible study with the Seahawks. Uh, that's so good. That's so good, John. Uh, just be around, be around the word. Um, I, you know, we, we kind of, we kind of connected with your background. I'm a Lutheran pastor, obviously, and you kind of have this background in, in Lutheranism. Um, and now I, you know, you're, you're connected to kind of an evangelical congregation here in town. And, uh, sometimes uh, Lutherans will hear words like, um, surrender or choose and maybe make an immediate, va- immediate value statement over, over that. But here's, here's what I've discovered. And I'm going to, I'm going to put on my kind of Lutheran conservative lens to hopefully open up our eyes to, to what God is, is up to. We're, we're really focused on passive faith, John, um, that you can't do anything to earn the grace of God and that you're, you're like a, an infant, right? And this is why we practice infant baptism in many respects. You, you can't do anything and you're conceived in sin. You're far from God. And so God, from the youngest of ages, um, he says, you're mine. You're my beloved. Never forget your core identity in in me. And I think Lutherans, we we preach and we teach along those lines. And yet at the same time, I don't know, and this is the discipleship conversation. I think in our in our tradition in general, um, we we miss out maybe on the Holy Spirit seasonal invitations into a deeper um, really revelation of how passive we are in, in, in this thing mm-hmm. called the faith journey and how desperately we're loved by God and how, as Jesus had this, this is my beloved son and whom I, I love, I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. If Jesus needed that declaration from the father ratified through the sending of the Holy spirit, how much more do we need that, that gift of the Holy spirit? And so we, I've been theologically wrestling with this since a conversation with a local pastor a couple weeks ago, um, the Holy Spirit in us creating and sustaining faith. This is the, and this, for us, this is, this is baptism. Um, and at the same time, the Holy Spirit resting upon us, covering us, uh, holding us and allowing us in your, in your, cause now you have the kingdom lens, you have the Holy Spirit lens to see that God didn't waste any of your experiences, um, and that he was near to you the entire time. And then you have these revelation moments when you're like, it's like I've been born again. You know, <laughs> it's like now something like, you know, the, the scales of unbelief have once again, and this is daily repentance and contrition. You know, we need the scales of unbelief to fall off our eyes over and over again to have the eyes of wonder to see, oh, my goodness, God, you are at work in my life. Jesus, thank you for the cross and for the empty tomb. And, and help me by the power of your spirit to live a life. I'll use the word you used, surrendered to your call upon my upon my life uh, to live sacrificially, selflessly, uh, because you, Jesus, have sacrificed and selflessly given yourself yourself for me. That is the call of of discipleship. And praise be to God for um, 
that revelation that he gave you through uh, another brother in Christ who had discovered the Jesus way. And I think it's unusual, you know, I, athletes, there's a lot of Christian athletes, so don't hear this the wrong, wrong way, but you have so much going on. It's so, it's unusual to find one who lives so sacrificially and selflessly, even in a game like football, that's me, me, me. It, it can't even be talk about talk about as I kind of go off any response to that, because I want to go off in another in another direction. But any response to that uh, kind of Lutheran journey and this like new revelation of Jesus, what's resting on your heart as you hear me just talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I come to what you just said and and um, some of the deeper theology of the Christian faith. Um, with a lot of humility. And um, I know that in my experience, so I went through infant baptism and I also was baptized after I made a faith profession when I was an adult. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know there's some theological differences in those two acts, but this Christ is at the center of it. And what I experienced later in life, what I described was um, an identity shift I experienced a different set of, um, you know, a, a different intentionality around how I desired to live and, and it's still messy and all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm, I'm one of those all for sure. Um, but I think the pursuit changed and, and the intention changed at that time. So theologically what happened and what, how, how that works, uh, you know, that's maybe above my pay grade. Um, but I know that there was a shift in the way that, that I started living at that point. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, so that's the way I would theologically, uh, the words I would use is repentance is metanoia. It was an about face f- yeah. for you. Right. I was going yeah. in one direction. The Holy spirit stopped me. He put me, he put his word in front of me. He put Jesus followers in front of me and I couldn't help, but turn around and say, Jesus, your way, not my, not my way. That's just the daily invitation of repentance. That, that's completely accurate. Yeah. Praise God. Okay. What would, what would surprise people? Cause you had an experience in Seattle that was just fantastic. And then not to throw the Vikings under the bus, but locker rooms can be, you and I were talking about the differences of an NFL locker room and the culture that was created in Seattle. And then again, a different type of culture in, and showing due respect to these different organizations, but, but you really enjoyed your time in, in Seattle and even, even get us behind the curtain for those NFL guys and gals who are out there. Um, what is an NFL? What would surprise people about an NFL locker room and the culture that can be created? there yeah yeah i think it you know it's it's difficult to say what would surprise people because i lived it and danielle and i my you know my wife danielle we we've just we we experienced this um the locker room in the nfl isn't that much different than the locker room in college and in high school i mean i i think football is such I'm very biased in this way, but I think football is such a unique sport because there's such a varied group of athletes on the field at any given time. Um, once you get to college and certainly in the, in the NFL, there's a lot of diversity on the team, which is really cool um, because, you know, I grew up in a tiny town in Minnesota, but I had teammates that grew up in, in Miami and, you know, all over the country and, and in some cases, you know, from other parts of the world. So there's this exchange of values and of life experiences and backgrounds, definitely a unique group of skill sets that are on the field, but you all, you all come together with this common 
goal of having the best team that you can have. Um, at least in a, in a great, on a great team, an environment where truly you're there to, to try to, to win games. Um, normally there's a commitment to each other, uh, that that's pretty special. Uh, we, we had that in Seattle, I think culturally, uh, but we had my first couple of years there, we had a lot of injuries. My rookie year, hmm. you know, I was a rookie tight end, one of three tight ends in, in, on the t- roster. Uh, we had a bunch of experienced receivers, but a lot of guys got hurt that year. Matt had a bunch of injuries. Um, I think our top five wide receivers were at some point injured, missed games on injured reserve. So we had a lot of guys that just, that, that happens in football. Sometimes you get hit with the injury bug and, you know, it impacts who's on the field. Um, and that, in, in, in a weird way, it, it played into me having more catches and yards and touchdowns because, you know, you had to throw the ball to someone. Um, so I, I had a degree of success the first couple of years statistically. Um, and at the, the weird experience part of it was at the same time, I realized why well, I, I need to get a lot better. There's, there's so many ways that I need to improve as a player and, and, and so many gaps that I have as a tight end. Um, so on paper, it's like, okay, that solid, solid season or whatever, but the, the tape said something different. Um, so Sorry, I strayed a little bit from your original question no, there. No, but I mean, tell. Let's just pause there. Uh, what What's it like? Because you can look up John Carlson YouTube and find some video. What's it like to catch a touchdown in the NFL? What's that emotion like? I mean, it's it's amazing. It it, it feels incredible. Um, <laughs> but but it's not really any different than catching a touchdown in high school. The the way that when we observed you know our players score touchdowns, the joy that they had, and how they come together, and the linemen go and celebrate and lift up the receivers and the running backs, and you know if a defensive lineman catch you know gets an interception or picks up a fumble and runs into the end zone and scores, I think the cool part about it is you come like it's a it's a group celebration. One person is holding the ball when they go into the end zone, but they got there through at least 11 players on the field at that time. And then all the other players that helped those 11 prepare for that moment. Um, So it's such a cool culmination of all the collective effort. And, um, you know, it's an individual act, but it's it's really collectively rooted. Um, And yeah. That's not not a great way to describe it, but um, I love it. No, you did, man. It's just, it's just joy and and team. Um, So would you, would you do anything different in your NFL career? So you had some time in, in Minnesota and that was, there were some injuries and then you finished your career just one year here with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Looking back, anything, anything different regrets? I don't think I have regrets because yeah, you learn through trials, you learn, right. learn through the struggles. Um, looking back just from a football standpoint, I would, I spent a lot of off season training time in the weight room and working on movement skills and trying to become a better athlete and stronger and more physically prepared for football. Um, I would have, if looking back, I, I would have spent more time in f- football skill development Um in addition to what I was already doing on the strength and conditioning and speed and movement skills side, uh, the, the physical skills of blocking and tackling and technique for um, you know, every aspect of football, there's a fundamental skill that's the foundation of it. Um, mm-hmm. And the best players on the field aren't necessarily the biggest, fastest, strongest. There's, there's like a level that you have to be a certain 
strength and speed and size. But anything beyond that really is unnecessary. And it, there's an opportunity cost to the work you put into gaining that strength and speed. Um, and so I would have invested that time a little bit differently. Uh, but, you know, like I said, you learn from the experience and the journey. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's let's move into more modern day um, and what the Lord invited you into kind of unbeknownst. You were not looking to be a high school. You, you thought maybe I'd be a high school football coach somewhere down the day, head football coach, but it didn't. The Lord just opened this door and put it right in front of you. You said yes. What did the Lord teach you in your first year as a high school head high school football coach? No, I was not looking to be a high school football coach uh, at this time. I have four kids and my, my oldest is, is 13 um, and we homeschool them. Um, my wife, I should say, we, I should say my wife, Danielle, homeschools our four kids. Uh, I, I love coaching. I think it's a really special way to invest in young people. Um, it's a really cool way to pay forward the people that have invested in me and, and worked with me in, in sports. Um, and the timing was what I felt God was opening a door to, to serve in this way. I, I look at it. Look, I look at the position as, as a service opportunity. Um, there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts. Um, timing wise, you know, I, I opened a small business a couple years ago and for the first two and a half, three years of it, I wouldn't have had the time and, and the, the capacity to take on a role like this. Um, but the opportunity became available at the same time as, as things had kind of fallen into place at, at my business, uh, where I could take some time off and, and, and move away and kind of split time. So I felt like God was opening that door. And, um, you know, the, the, the next biggest step, what I learned in running a small business is, you know, the operational aspects of, of a business, operational aspects of a football team are only as good as the team that you, you create or that you put together to, um, to implement process. And immediately I went to work trying to recruit great men like yourself to be part of the staff. And it was just a blessing to have you and to have the other coaches that we had. We had men that I would have been proud of my kids to play for. Um, so that was my number one goal initially is to, to get a group of coaches that would love these kids that number one would, would model and point these young men to Jesus. And then number two would be committed to being as good as we could be and growing continually as coaches to help these young football players maximize their capabilities as football players. So um, they're, they're not mutually exclusive to point people to Jesus and um, try to reflect that and make that preeminent, but then also to try to be as good a players as we can be and collectively to have the best team possible. Um, those, those are really the two intentional goals that I had getting into it. Well, I'll tell you this, you, you accomplished them. Um, it was fun to have a front row seat to watch the Lord at, at work with our eat principles. We established some language really early on that kind of shaped the culture of our team effort, attitude and team. Good, good acronym there. And it was, yeah, it was fun to see the, the culture of, of, Gilbert Christian football kind of be highlighted. And, and there's a lot more kids. I can tell you this, a lot more kids who are very intrigued because of the culture that you created. But coaching is hard, especially football coaching is very difficult. Like I got, I learned a lot, 
but I got a lot more to learn. Um, so as you head into like next season, what are some of it? We're trying to, I know we're trying to get some new coaches and stuff, but like, where are we going to be better on the field because of the experience we had in, in year one? Well, one of the things I love about sports is, is there's always an opportunity to learn and get better. Um, the, the chiefs won the super bowl last year and, and they practice every day this year. They can't just rest on what happened last year. There's always yeah. opportunity to grow and to be shaped, um, which is cool. So I think in looking back on the season, there's, I, I have a lot of gaps just in terms of how I organized our practices and scheduled things. And, um, you know, there, we, there are certain challenges and limitations that we dealt with primary one being, we just didn't have that many players. Um, but the flip side of that is it's a blessing because all those kids get a ton of opportunity in practice and in games. Um, so because of that, we had to design practice in a certain way to get everything in and taught. Um, but I need to be better in how I utilize our time and I need to get kids more reps and need to find ways to um, make practice a little more competitive um, to make it more game-like and to help kids improve at a faster rate. Um, but this is, you know, I love last year. I think I, I took the job in February or March and then it was the big push was just to get other coaches to help me um, <laughs> because I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. Um, so that was a big push. So, so we're, you know, we're looking at a few more coaches to ideally have a, a position coach for each position. Then that coach can champion what are the fundamental skills of this position and how do we teach it really, really well, really, really efficiently because time is limited. Um, so that's kind of what's going on right now. We're looking at, I'm looking at practice design yeah. in season, how we'll do that. Uh, the weight room is going to be a huge, you know, we we're already in the process of, of, of making that a priority this off season. Um, I'm a huge believer in multi-sport athletes. I think it's great Love for that. the athlete. I think it's great for the school. I think it. um, you know, it prevents burnout. If, if you, if you specialize in one sport, there's a, I, I, I was in sports psychology for a little bit between when I got done with football and then I got into this automotive repair business. Um, you know, and there, there's a lot of research that shows that specialization leads to burnout emotionally, mm -hmm. spiritually, um, and it increases the risk of overuse injuries. Uh, yeah. and then in a small school, if you want to have elite sports, uh, elite teams, you, you need all the athletes participating in as many, in as many sports as possible. So, right. um, you know, I'm a big believer in multi-sport athletes. So pushing kids to try to find another sport to get involved in and to compete and to contribute, um, when you know this, but just to share the, I, I look at participation in football and in sports in general as a, a stewardship, uh, uh, the stewarding of the gifting that God's given you. So how being part of the team, it's not a, a consumption item. Hey, I'm signing up so I can get whatever outcome I'm seeking from signing up and paying a fee. It's not that at all. It's an investment. It's a, a, a giving, a pouring out of yourself to the good of this team. Um, and through that investment and through that commitment, each individual player is going to actually get more out of it than if they looked at it like, hey, what can I get from this? Um, mm. but it, that, that's, that's what we're trying. That's really the heart of the culture we're trying to create. Yep. How can I contribute to this team and invest in it? And how can we elevate, um, serve one another and elevate the team as much as possible in the process? Counterintuitively, each individual actually is going to have a better experience. They're going to improve more 
and have more individual opportunities that way. Um, but that shouldn't be the heart of it. The heart of it should be, how can I serve my brother? John, John, do you know that what you just said is the heart of a healthy congregation? Um, a, a healthy church is when consumers, those who just care about self, move to Holy Spirit-inspired contributors and partners in the gospel. And that's one of my, as a, as a parish pastor, as a church pastor, one of my biggest prayers is, Lord Jesus, uh, capture their affections for you so much so that they cannot help but proclaim the one who's called them out of darkness, live as the hands and feet of Jesus, go to the least, the hurting, the lost, the the marginalized, to listen to your spirit, to have their life conform to the word. Um, and then to say, here am I, send, send me, you know, that, that is what you learn on a healthy, on a healthy team, specifically in football, this journey from consumer, me, 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 to contributor him 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 and then us 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 uh, watching our watching our pronouns so yeah that that's really cool I, there's kind of a um, an organizing principle connected to the body of Christ that for those who have the eyes to see football is just and this is why this is why I love my I only have one son John you've got more sons than, than I do and um, I don't know why but God put upon his heart like football is going to be my main thing, he, he's playing basketball now too, but like he wants to be the best football player he, he possibly can be. And the leadership lessons that get to be taught through the game is just spectacular. And, and some parents, you know, you see all the, all the data around concussions and it's a, it's a, it can be a violent kind of injury prone, dangerous sport. What would you tell parents and, and athletes who are concerned? Because we, we have, even in our context, uh, at Gilbert Christian, we have some athletes and parents who move in that specialized direction. And a lot of that concern is, well, I don't, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get hurt. I'm just going to go on a soapbox right now. Like if your ultimate goal, if your ultimate goal is, man, I got to be a John Carlson someday. I got to, I don't know that God gave you a body like John Carlson, you know, like God gave you, you stewarded your time and you've, you had a whole, what I love about your story is you had the Lord open a whole bunch of doors at the right time. If any one of those could have been closed, you could have entered into a different season of life. And so it was all a gift from Jesus. But uh, for the parents that like are so focused on the future, Johnny's going to go and be the the best D1 or they're going to do like the odds of that happening are very, very limited. And so let's make the most of the opportunity that the Lord has put right in front of us. And if you happen to go to a school, smaller school where you can do multiple sports, I highly encourage football being one of those sports, given, given the realities, the risks that are within football. So what would you say to uh, folks who say, I don't know if, if little Johnny should play football, John? <laughs> Well, I want to touch on the, the specialization thing just briefly, if that's okay. I, Please. I think, you know, I know that I know parents in that mode and, and that have that belief and they like, they all want the best for their kid. So this, this is not, I mean, it's, there's nothing immoral about it. There's nothing, um, you know, they want the best for their kid and what parent doesn't want the best for, for their child, of course. Right. Um, so I, I understand the heart behind it. Um, the the danger of football is is legitimate. It, it's real. It's a real thing. You know, we had a young man who tore his ACL this season, and it was it was a, a it's been a difficult season of life for him because of that injury. We had several other injuries. You know, Kai had an injury. Um, you know, the the, the physical injuries are going to happen. It's part of football. Um, 
the way that I would recommend mitigating, making the game as safe as possible is to prepare for it. Um, physically to prepare for it by lifting weights. Um, my, my oldest son is 13. He's not played tackle football yet. He's done flag up to this point. And part of it, the reason that he hasn't done any tackle is he's homeschooled. So if he was in a middle school where they had seventh grade tackle football, I'm sure he would have done that this year. Um, but I've told him if he wants to play tackle in high school, he's got to lift weights. You, know, you, you have to train and physically get your body ready to sustain you know, those hits and to be able to deliver those hits and to do it in a way that's as safe as possible. Uh, the next part of preparation is just learning the proper fundamentals and techniques of the positions. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a safer way to tackle. There's a safer way to block. And, and there's a way to, to learn the game where um, it is physical. You, you, you're not, one, of, one of the reasons the game is great is because of the physical contact. Um, but head-to-head, needless head-to-head shots, um, cheap shots, you know, hip tossing. There's things that in the game that we can make safer uh, through proper physical training in the offseason and throughout the season, uh, recovery work, um, and then just teaching the sport properly. Um, you know, again, I think playing multiple, multiple sports is really important in that. Playing basketball translates to football really well. The, the athleticism, the movement skills, the physicality of basketball translates. I never played soccer, but I've seen s- some of our best football players this year are also great soccer players at Gilbert Christian. You know, so you, you can see that, that the skills translate. And even something like tennis. I, I play tennis. It's not a contact sport, but hand-eye coordination and, and movement skills and footwork. And uh, there's, there's definitely carryover to baseball. Same thing. A couple of our best players yeah. play, play baseball. Um, so... Is the game dangerous? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a risk to playing football. Uh, but if you lift weights properly, if you learn about nutrition and recovery, if you sleep, you get you, you get the right amount of sleep so that you're recovering effectively. Um, you know, getting into the the rhythms of the disciplines required to play football is really, I think, a great way to develop those habits for life. Um, so through that struggle and through the preparation, I think is the training that we're really intending to provide these young men for life. Um, so the way to mitigate the danger is also the way to, to develop the skills that are help going to help you be great husbands and fathers and, you know, leaders in business and, you know, Amen. teachers, you know, so I think I personally believe that the, the risk side of it can be mitigated, can't be eliminated but it can be mitigated. And I think the value derived from really investing in the process is so significant that it is worth the risk. Um, and I will speak to, there's a lot of focus on outcomes in hmm. youth, youth sports. Outcomes being, you know, is my kid a starter? Did we win a state championship? Is my kid going to earn a scholarship? Um, I think th- those are not, those are all good things. But I, it reminds me of um, Tim Keller's got a book called, um, I wrote it down here. I forget the name of the book. Counterfeit oh God. Gods. He wrote a lot. Counterfeit oh, go, Gods. Mm-hmm. And it, what it, the gist of the book is, you know, we as humans, we elevate these good things like sports or like a scholarship or a position in high school sports. We elevate them to a level where only God should be. Um, and that's when it becomes a counterfeit God. These are all blessings from God, but we're, we just put them in the wrong position. So it, it, it saddens me a little bit to observe such a focus on this outcome, especially when it's down the road. 
I want to earn a scholarship. So you're focused solely on that right now. Well, there are so many things out of your control that are going to dictate whether you get a scholarship or not. There's really limited influence that you can have on that. Mm -hmm. God's gifting for you, um, you know, whether or not uh, certain doors open at the right times, um, you know, just the transfer portal, like that impacts how (laughs) high school kids get scholarship. There's these things that are, are out of your control, but what you have right now in front of you, this opportunity in high school sports specifically is so special and so unique. And I think if, if parents and student athletes focused more on the process that's right in front of them and allowed, you know, kind of held the outcome with an open hand as, Hey God, this is yours. The outcome of this is in your hands. Uh, I'm going to trust you with that. I think they would enjoy the experience more. I think they would be, they would actually maximize their opportunity for those next things, starting state championships, scholarships, um, but, but the whole process, they, they would enjoy, like high school sports can be such a joy and they can be such yeah. a blessing and they can be such a great way to prepare for life. Let's not look past that. Let's focus on that right now and let's let the outcomes come as, as they may. Well, again, I got my leadership hat on here. That's just the way healthy churches, organizations function. It's the build, measure, learn mindset right? It's the lean startup model with life, which requires radical presence um, to learn, to stay humble right now in, in the present, to invite Jesus to be Lord of, of my life, and then release all the things in the future that we can't control to him as we receive data, feedback, people give it whatever. So we grow up. So we mature. This is the journey of discipleship. It's the humility of Christ meeting us in the present, forgiving our past, and then leading us. This is, we got to be attuned to him. He's leading us into the future. And I think uh, many, many Americans, we struggle with, parents included, we struggle with control, controlling the future of our kids, giving them the most. And our kids are not our own, John. Our kids are the Lord's first and foremost, and they've been entrusted to us to steward. And I want to help my son, my daughters. Uh, I know you want the same. Just live with radical joy in the present and and experience all the things, the highs and the lows, um, and and trust that Jesus is leading them through it all. So this has been so much fun. A couple quick questions uh, regarding leadership coming down the home stretch. Uh, what impresses you the most about Jesus and his leadership style, John? Again, that's a big question. Um, it is. I think at, at the base level, it's just humility. Uh, great leaders, um, you know, Jesus is God and man. So this, the, he's at another level, of course, but I, I, I think in a, in a sim, I try to simplify things for me because I've been hitting the head a lot and I, you know, I'm a, a simple guy. Great leaders are humble servants and you can't be more humble than to be the God man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, this Christmas season is so special and I think just, the, this this Christmas story is so um, familiar. It's easy to lose sight of what it's all about. And um, God came as a, a child in this way uh, to die on a cross for our sins. It, it's a remarkable thing. Um, but the humility that's at the center of all that to me is uh, a leadership is, is, is it like a key leadership principle, I think mm-hmm. from, Jesus life 
and death. Yeah, we we got the privilege of spending uh, the whole season talking about the leadership lessons of the Apostle Paul. Uh, thanks for allowing me to to shape that. As as you look back, what impressed you most? Most because Paul's a little bit more accessible. He's not the God Man. He's just a dude who was radically changed by the humility of Christ and carrying that message forward, starting churches, shaping culture, all of those things. What impressed you about the Apostle Paul? Um, he is so on mission for the gospel, his, his clear direction and purpose and the, um, his willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel is, you know, was remarkable and is remarkable in, in scripture. Um, you know, I, I think as athletes, it's, it, that resonates because, um, and again, I think there's a parallel here between the suffering that he endured and at a very small level, football requires some suffering, not at all what Paul experienced, but going through, you know, you did a great job of leading our, our young men through Paul's ministry journey. And, and, and I love that we provided that you provided that example for them. Um, but in my, in our, the church that I attend, uh, we went through the book of Acts last year in a individual study and, and it really hit home to me. I've, I've read the book of Acts several times. I've done some studies years in years past, but it really hit home the amount that Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel. And he kept coming back. He just kept returning. And if you read it and you read like, I, I don't, I forget where it's at, but Paul is literally stoned outside of town and everybody leaves. And I, I I'm taking that to assume that every, they thought he was dead. He lifted himself up. That's right. he, he got back up and, and just continued on with the purpose that God had for him. Um, so I'm rambling a little bit, yeah. but I think, I think no, man. He, he's so on mission and, and the way that I try to apply that in my life is, you know, God's, given me, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to be a good steward of, of this, the positions he's put me in and the opportunities I have to try to lead and serve in my small business, uh, you know, coaching, you know, with you and the other coaches, how we serve these young men and lead them. Um, and in my family, uh, you know, my, my, my wife, Danielle, and you know, how we, we lead our kids. Um, those are really special and unique opportunities to lead. Um, and, keeping that all in balance, staying on mission, being purposeful, um, ensuring that I'm using my time effectively because time is so limited. And then I'm stewarding that in, in a way that honors God and um, serves those people I just described and most effectively. That's that's really um, kind of weighing heavy, heavy on me uh, because I want to be really intentional in this time. My oldest is 13, my youngest is seven, and this season of life is rapidly progressing. Um, and I'm turning 40 here, uh, later this year, which is pretty cool. You know, it's, it's amazing how time flies. And I just want to make sure that, um, I'm intentional in the way that I'm living on mission for Christ. One of my favorite, y'all, you're, you're doing great and you're loved by the Lord, man. And it's an honor to call you a friend and partner in the gospel and shaping young, young lives. When you bring up 40, I, I think of one of my favorite coaching quotes and I forget, I think it's Oklahoma state and I forget the dude's name. I'm a man. I'm 40. You remember that? <laughs> Talk to me. You ever remember that? Have you, I, you remember that clip from I, Oklahoma state? I can't believe I don't remember that. That's, that's, so, that's a very memorable clip. 
He goes, you got to look it up. I'm a man. I'm 40 on YouTube. And I think it was Oklahoma State back in the day. But the funny thing, they were they were attacking the kids, you know, for not playing up to up to snuff and everything. He goes, don't go after the kids. He's got this really high voice, too. So it's really funny. Don't go after the kids. Go after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. So, John, John Carlson, you are you are a man who's just about 40. Uh, I'm grateful for you. And if people want to connect to you or even follow Gilbert Christian High School football, want to support us uh, moving forward, how can they do so? Well, I'm, I'm one of those um, backwards individuals that has no social media presence whatsoever. So great. Um, the That's school, great. Gilbert Christian uh, Athletics, has they, they do a tremendous job of, of with football and all the other sports there. So, so uh, you know, on Instagram and uh, I'm sure all, all the social yep. media, Twitter, all, all the social media outlets. Um, if anyone wants to connect, you know, I love uh, talking sports and faith and kind of the intersection of the two and leadership. Uh, and just meeting great people. Um, my email address is gilbertchristianfootball at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, you could be, we can be old school and you can just send me an email and we can meet up for coffee sometime. There we go. There we go. This is American Reformation podcast. Uh, sharing is caring. Like, subscribe, comment, wherever it is you take this in. I, John, I'm not really much on socials as well. I find that I just have too much time and that is a time... Uh, suckers. I do like a good podcast though. So I hope for those of you who listen, you got a lot out of this conversation today with uh, coach, head coach, Gilbert Christian High School football and uh, retired NFL veteran, John Carlson. It's a good day. Go and make it a great day. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me, Tim. The Unite Leadership Collective is excited to announce the launch of our new online learning platform. Whether you're considering entering into ministry or already leading, we have the resources that you need to become an empowered leader in your ministry. Our learning platform will release new courses every quarter with our first available course, Becoming an Engaged Leader, available now. But by joining our monthly membership, you'll unlock unlimited access to all of our courses and gain entry into our exclusive coaching community space where ministry leaders can connect with each other. This community also grants you access to bi-weekly coaching calls led by the ULC team, private Zoom calls, and additional team discounts. To celebrate the launch, we're offering introductory rates for all of our courses and the monthly subscription plan. Just enroll prior to January 1st using the code 75ULC2023 to get 75% off at checkout. Visit the UniteLeadership.org to learn more about our online learning platform and start your journey to lead effectively in any church settings today.